0: Welcome back to the commentary tower here at Donington Park, where we were earlier on in the year after a Scott Redding treble in the Bennett's British Superbike Championship. And here we are again, shaky burning Greg Haynes for the latest shaky show after a Scott Redding double. Well, he's done it again, hasn't he? And he's in an emphatic position now, ready for Brands Hatch.
1: He certainly is. I mean, what a weekend. You know, he, um, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. I said after we finished Alton Park and we were heading into a showdown, I just said, look, you know in my opinion we're going to see the real scott Redding now he's done a, an amazing job of of getting through the quirky tracks of psp you know getting through the quirky whatever, getting through the you know the 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 quirkiness of arm <laughs> barriers up the side <laughs> of the tracks in some places and whatever else and you know he's dealt with that he's done a great job when he could win he could he did um and when he couldn't you know he was on the rest on the rostrum or you know certainly right there or thereabouts and uh you know, he's got the first part of the season out of the way, he got to the tracks he knows at the most important time of the year,
0: and he's absolutely pulled the pin, and it's four from four so far. Well, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably watched the racing, but if you didn't, it was Scott Redding on pole position, Scott Redding winning the two races, fastest lap in one of them. Josh Brooks took the fastest lap in the other, but the order was Redding, Tommy Bridewell, Josh Brooks in race one. Redding, Josh Brooks, Tommy Bridewell in race two first of all though how's your weekend been i know you were in nice and early weren't you here on uh friday to record your track piece you've had a good weekend oh, nice and early you know what i used to sleep at the circus in a remote room and i never
1: got here this early <laughs> yeah. i um i actually had to come in at something like seven o'clock or seven fifteen to record that track piece because we uh we attempted to do it at the end of the day on friday and uh of course it, it was just... saturday when you came in early wasn't it yeah, yeah. exactly it got too dark um and whilst the whilst the guys in the Eurosport edit are, are very, very clever, even they couldn't make the uh, the dark <laughs> light. <laughs> nice piece, by the way. How do you find it doing those things? Because it's all still quite new to you, isn't it? Well, that's my... You know, I did one with James Whittam um, at Alton Park earlier in the year. And, you know, when you're just kind of chatting with your mate about you know about a certain part of track and you know you can both uh, both relate to it it's really easy but when you've got one camera on you and you've got mm, to mm. you know get across a few key points but you've got an amount of time to do that in um I got in a right pickle a few times I'm not gonna lie it took me uh, it just seemed to uh right I'd start and then I'd get halfway in I'd mess it up and then I'd start and mess it up straight away and then I'd start and get three quarters of the way through and then mess it right up way. and uh I was like,
0: come on, get yourself together, young man. Happens, though. I remember when I did my media training, they said to me, talk to one person. You know what I mean? Don't imagine you're talking to a load of people, even though there's lots of people watching. Just talk to one person. But it's weird, isn't it? Because you've got the cameraman. Hold on, and- hold on, hold on. So you're telling me you've had media training? I have it a little bit. I know it doesn't show, does it?
1: No, it does Well, do
0: you know what the... Do you know what the He's re- obviously surprised. You
1: know, the, the funny thing is, right, uh, you can only compare yourself to, to people that you, <laughs> that you respect and look up to. And, you know, one of those people, for instance, if you, if you look at the way Neil Hodgson's come on and, you know, you watch something like that and you think, do you know what? Neil's got really, really good at that. Yet, I go out and do my first track piece on my own and, and sort of talk through it and make a few mistakes and, you know, end up taking, you know, quite a few takes to get it done. But then you watch it back and you think oh you know what there wasn't it wasn't great but it wasn't it wasn't that bad and when you think that the 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 guys that you're comparing yourself to have been doing i mean look at james Whittam. he is absolutely brilliant on tv i love wit to bits and so natural so just chilled out you know no stress about nothing and it really comes across in the way that he he does his job on tv and he's somebody that i really admire and really look up to when it when it comes to, to doing stuff like that but it's not that easy to be that natural when no, do you're it. doing it for the first time yeah, you know it's not. uh it's, it's pretty tricky and
0: i for one certainly haven't had no media <laughs> training it's funny because i've realized over the years with that sort of thing i think it's a bit like riders in tv you get people who are a lot nicer in real life you know real life and in inverted commas than they are on screen and some of the other way around but james whittam is one guy who's exactly the same isn't he on the telly as he is in real life let's say well to be fair
1: that's it's one of the reasons you know working alongside Matt um Whit James Hayden and yourself obviously um it's one of the reasons (laughs) I really enjoy this job because we are all just you know four mates that that get on real good and you know we can have a giggle and take the mickey out of each
0: other and and take it on the gin and and it's uh (laughs) it's almost unfair to call it a job isn't it Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of research goes into it, but you're right. You've got to to look relaxed and you've got to be having fun. Otherwise, you know, who at home wants to see someone who looks miserable to be doing it? You've got to get some positive energy across. One thing I was just looking at, just to underline the dominance of this new Ducati, it was eight seconds back to the first non-Ducati in race one and nine seconds in race two, Obviously, it is the best bike on the grid at the moment, but what a first year that new V4 Panigale has had across the board.
1: I actually think that the the results were going to be ever so slightly different. Um, I watched qualifying, obviously, and saw what went on. And uh, Bradley Ray was a bit of a, a standout guy for me. Obviously, he qualified third. He was on the on the front row of the grid, but um, had a problem with his bike. And Luke Mossy, we had him fourth. Brad looked uh, to have the pace to, to kind of, you know, certainly hang on the back of the ducatis is nothing else and you are right you know when you see an eight second gap back from the first ducati and then you see a a nine Mm -hmm. second gap back in the second race it uh you know makes it look like they are completely dominant but um you know watching brad start from 19th on the grid i think it was in race two and then come through to to six and just and i mean just by 0.00 miss out on a top five or whatever um i think we could have not necessarily seen the result we saw from in the start of 2018,
0: but um, yeah I think he was the one guy that was possibly going to be able to take it to the Ducatis. I think what Brad Ray's done, certainly the last few rounds, and we've seen it with our Robert Easter, I think in a negative way, unfortunately for him earlier in the year, is how much of this game is in the head. I mean, I don't know what percentage you put it down to, but it's a mind game, isn't it? Well, they say um, they say
1: that a happy rider is a fast rider, and mm. you know you need um, you need the right people around you. You know, my years I've been fortunate enough to to build a team of people that i actually wanted um and a, a bunch of people that were all extremely good at their job but you know for me a team has to win together and lose together and um, i think yeah. we've had this conversation a few times and it's about putting the right people around the right rider and and you know allowing the riders to just enjoy riding his motorbike and, and, and trying to you
0: know trying to win races. Ryan Vickers, I think, deserves a quick shout-out just as we go down the results here. He's had a really solid weekend, hasn't he? He was in a really positive mood, wasn't he, when we did that Facebook Live on the Eurosport player and on the Eurosport Twitter on Friday, Saturday morning, rather. But he's, he's coming, isn't he, he's bit by bit. He's had some nasty accidents and injuries this year, but he's getting there now, I feel. Yeah, he is. Um, I think he's quite a, quite a talented, special special mm. young guy you know he's
1: certainly one of the one of the bright hopes for for the BSP championship um I don't know what his what his plans are um for next season yeah he's one guy that we haven't heard any rumors about Um maybe maybe he'll stay where he is maybe he'll change um you know you'd have to say that the the Royal Air Force and Reserves team are a great team at developing young talent and you know it'd be good to to see him stay there but uh you know, he's managed by um, a very experienced guy in Roger Burnett and uh, you know they'll obviously be uh, ticking all boxes and covering all bases and seeing if there was somewhere else that uh, you know they could send him
0: into to, to try and make him or allow him to take that next step. Yeah. Roger Bennett, who incidentally took the very first world Superbike pole position here at Donington back in 88 and never took another one after that, Roger, but yeah, he's very much involved, isn't he, from a managerial point of view? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, you know, I think he sees that he's got a, you know a great prospect in front of him, and uh, yeah, he's he's very good at spotting talent. I mean, he's had uh, he's had Neil Hodgson, hasn't he? He's had James Toseland riding with him. Who else? He's looked after Danny Kent for a while. So um, yeah, he's he's
0: worked with some really good guys. Another standout performer for me, Shakey, Actually, funnily enough, it seems a bit silly to say this, but didn't race. But Taylor McKenzie. I thought the way he adapted to the Taiko BMW. You know, from a layman's point of view, from my point of view as a non-rider, to come in. Knocked his brother, didn't he, unintentionally, I guess, out of Q3 to go ninth on the grid. Uh, nasty crash in the warm-up this morning and then a really nasty crash. Same place, coming through Coppice in the Stock 1000 race, concussed. Luckily, though, nothing more than that. But Taylor was looking really good. It's a shame we didn't see how that would have gone on the Tyco BMW.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, it was quite impressive. I mean, uh, Taron, his younger brother, um, is having a bit of a tough time at the minute, isn't he? I mean, he's made it into the showdown, which is great, but the wheels have kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit since um, since the crash back at, um, where did he break his wrist? Well, he had a nasty one at Brands and Thruxton, didn't he? Thruxton, yeah. You know, he's a, he, he's more than capable of, of winning races. He showed that at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, that team are as well and you know they've worked really hard to you know to give them the best possible package but you know you just uh, you touched on it with bradley ray and with alvaro batista but uh, you know a lot of this is in the head and and you know all taron wants to do at the minute is get back that feeling of, of being able to ride at the front and uh, you know enjoy battling with the guys but um, it's proven particularly tricky but we're going to attract now actually the next round of brands hgp where where he's always shone, mm. always look really good um and hopefully he'll kind of refine that form and uh, look forward to getting on the uh, the 2020 version of the
0: um, R1M. What was the gap now And I think back? Do you know the year you went into Brands some way behind Leon Haslam, 2017, wasn't it? What was the points gap? 33 points. 33. So if we look at it now, it's 28. So we're in the same part there between Scott Rilling and Josh Brooks. Tommy Bridewell, 65 behind. There's only 75 points left. So it's mathematically down to those three. Tommy's an outsider. I think it has to be said. Can anyone really see past Scott Redding now? I know anything can happen. It could rain or whatever, but it's not going to be easy to beat him now, is it? Surely.
1: I don't think it was easy to beat him. <laughs> to be honest, uh, you know, from the from the word go, the way mm. that guys come in, yeah, it always seems like we we big him up a lot, but you know, he's got my he has my complete and utter respect. You know, to to come from MotoGP, it could have gone one or two ways for him here. He could have come back and. You know, his head could have rolled off his shoulders and, and you know, disappeared up his own backside and, and done nothing yeah. or he could have come here and, and done the job he's done and been the, the sort of consummate professional timed everything to, to pretty much perfection i i hate sitting here saying but i feel kind of like told you do you know what I mean, I told you, um, you know, we had this this very conversation, didn't we? You know, you put all your eggs in that basket, but what's going to happen is they're going to hatch. And, uh, you know, he's going to saunter off somewhere at the end of the year with a BSP title under his belt. And, you know, it looks like that's pretty much exactly
0: what happened. But fair dues, by the way, because you also predicted a Scott Reading double for Donington. I thought, oh, Brooks, you might be able to beat him in the first one. But um, that was Magna Cor, wasn't it? Last week, you said Scott will do the double and he did again. So that's the five races he's done here, Shane, this year. And he's won them all. How should people have seen it then, really? Should they have thought... You can never assume he's going to come in for MotoGP and win, but I guess it wouldn't have looked very good for Scott Redding. And he's not won it yet, has it? We're talking like he's already done it. It wouldn't have looked great for Scott Redding if he'd come in and been an also around this year. It wouldn't have looked very good at all for him or for MotoGP or for anyone, would it, really?
1: No, definitely not. And I mean, the the one thing that stands out for me is when we were here back in May, the 24th or 25th of May, Scott Redding became the X Mm. number of BSB winner. um he's now won 11 times um in Mm. his first season (laughs) kind of puts his season into context you know if he goes and i'm not saying he's going to do the the at brands but it's more than possible if he does that it becomes a 14 time race winner in in one year now if that doesn't Mm. deserve a championship then nothing does yes you can argue that v4r is a is a pretty special bike and yes it's finished first second third for umpteen races this year and you know pretty much all of the other guys are already like well you know as long as we're first non-Ducati then we've done a good job but mm. at the same time he still had to beat two very fast guys on the same bike to uh to win those races so like I said let's talk about somebody else I feel like we've uh we've done yeah. nothing but talk about um talk about Scott but you know in fairness to Scott it's
0: because of the job he's done he's done a great job Deserves some recognition we should talk about his teammate Josh Brooks of course very very honest once again wasn't it? as he often is Josh actually in his interviews to be honest but again very very honest in his interview today and he sort of just said I couldn't do much about him this weekend Yeah but Josh that's Josh um, yeah. you know the positive thing for me this weekend and you know
1: it's it's fairly common knowledge that he and I don't get on that great. But the, the the thing that stood out for me this weekend was that Josh come out, you know, all guns blazing. He didn't come out like he did at Assen. You know, in Assen the other week, he came off the back of a crash at Alton Park, was really steady um, all day Friday in Assen, steady on Saturday. And it took him all weekend to get up to speed and he just did not look comfortable on that bike. But when Josh is comfortable on that bike, his riding style really suits the thing. This weekend he came out and I think, honestly, Honestly, hand on heart, that's the best. I think I've seen him ride that bike all year. He looked like the Josh Redding of old... Uh, Josh Redding, the Josh Brooks, sorry, of... Um, <laughs> that's of a old. hybrid rider. Yeah, yeah, he's he's fast too, Josh Redding. <laughs> yeah, um, he would be fast. So, yeah, it was it was good to see, you know. And, uh, you know, Josh won't be going into uh, into Brands Hatch thinking this is all over. You know, no, no way, chance. No you never, ever, ever give up as a rider. You know, that's the that's the golden rule. And the first person to beat is always your teammate. It's just unfortunate that his teammate is one that's... Uh, you know,
0: so strong and so fast and so adaptable. But um, what might be going through his mind now then, Shane, if we just go back to 2017 again, when you were, what was it, 32, was it you said before? 32, yeah, 32, 32 points so behind Leon Haslam? Three points
1: tonight to, uh, to yeah. beat him for the championship. So
0: what was your mindset? Did you go into it thinking I can still win this or did you just go into it thinking I've just got to win all these races? I mean, what were you actually thinking? Do you know what? Honestly, we had a, we had a, a few problems um, mm. in the first
1: two showdown rounds and looked like I'd fallen apart like a cheap suit you know that was difficult for me to take because i went into the champ into the showdown leading the championship and was doing a doing a you know a good enough job yeah and uh, was obviously looking forward to the showdown because you know you can't win the championship in bsb until you complete the showdown but yeah just like things conspired against us and i actually if i'm honest with you hand on heart went into brand's Hatch thinking Do you know what all i've ever dreamt about since i was however old is being a motorbike racer uh, i'm not enjoying my racing i've not enjoyed the last few rounds um obviously a load of problems and i you know i didn't know if i could turn it around i'm not gonna lie um you know it taken leon two rounds to build up a 33 point advantage yeah i had one round to try and overcome that and i thought you know what you're, you're being an idiot just just go to brands go and enjoy riding your bike just go and enjoy being what you've always dreamt of being um mm. And I went there with like a completely different mindset. It was like somebody had taken the weight of the world off my shoulders and I just wanted to enjoy riding my bike. And I went out and I enjoyed riding my bike from the word go. And I was fast and I was really fast. I was on pole and Leon was struggling. And you know, I'm not gonna lie, Saturday evening, this is gonna sound like really wrong, but Saturday evening I knew I was gonna be BSP champion. I knew I was going to turn it around. I just had a feeling I went to bed that night after winning the first race on the Saturday. Leon had had like a 7th or a 10th or something like that. And I thought, you know what, I'm winning this. I didn't come there expecting that, but that night I knew. And then I went out and I won the first race on the Sunday. And that took it to a two point deficit. And I was just, there was absolutely no way in my head that I wasn't going to win the championship. And you know every rider on the grid probably feels like that, but I kind of I've never felt so certain of something in my in my whole career. and you know the the last, the last race on on the Sunday afternoon, I was on the front row, and Leon was really far back on the grid, and it was probably the most intense grid walk and, and you know grid mm. that, that I'd ever sat on. but I still had this really positive feeling, and I knew uh, what I had to do. I knew how much Leon had been struggling and Leon got like the most miraculous of starts. I got not the best of ones, got a bit boxed in through turn one, a bit boxed in through Druids. And Leon actually come around the outside outside of me at Druids and sort of dropped in front of me going down into bottom bend. And I thought to myself, this just could not be better. I followed the guy around the track and I just sat on his back wheel. I just kept his pit board at plus zero, plus zero, plus zero. Yet the lap times we were doing... Were half a second a lap slower than the the two races that I just won? You know, yeah. one in the, the earlier on in that afternoon and than the one the day before. So I knew I had like half a second a lap in my pocket, and that's a big yeah. You know, I was not taking a single risk, and I was just letting him hear that Jacati bellow and watching him start to make a few mistakes and you know, watching his bike starting to squirm where he was trying really hard to get away from me. And I thought, yeah, carry on, carry on because, you know, three or four laps from the end, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the pin and, and, you know, that's going to be me. You know, when you, when you fight with Leon Haslam on track, you have to make sure that your move is clean and concise and that you do it in a way that you don't, you know, miss the opportunity to, you know, to defend that, that, Position you've just taken, mm. um, because he is so tenacious that he'll come back at you. You know, you could be racing at Brands Hatch and he'd come back at you from from Donington Park just to make sure that uh, to make sure that he didn't lose to you. And that's what I love about racing against the guy. But he then went and had that accident and fell off, and and you know the wheels fall, fell off my wagon. You know, I, I was like right ahead of you, didn't yeah? It? He literally went into Hawthorn Bend so fast, and and all of a sudden the guy that I'd spent all year trying to beat was like in the ground i knew he was going to hurt himself you can't crash there and not hurt yourself um but i my my bike started making all funny noises and in my head it was going to break down and i started making mistakes and and it just absolutely ruined everything for me because i was like oh my god well what do i do now i wanted to beat him i wanted to beat that guy so badly at brands to to nail the championship that I, i can't tell you how much i wanted it and you know i ended up turning it around and winning the championship but Josh, you know, enough about me. Um, Josh is going to be going there thinking, well, you know what? Shakey turned around 33 points or 32 exactly. points or whatever. Exactly. You
0: know, it's not over yet. And he'd be more than right to yeah. to think that way. Yeah, well, all it would take and not wishing ill on anyone, but if Scott Redding did have a problem in the first race, didn't score and Josh Brooks won, there'd only be three points between them. So it just goes to show, we have got to talk about Tommy Bridle then. He's the last of the three who could still win it, Shaky, He's 65 points behind. There's 75 points left So he's just got to go there and win all the races and hope the other two hit trouble, hasn't he? There is nothing more he can do to win this championship. I
1: think Tommy Bridwell's a a great character. He's a great part of the British Superbike Championship, and he's done a great job this year. I think that Tommy Bridwell actually made his showdown so much easier by falling down Mm -hmm. in Assen. And Mm -hmm. I know that's going to sound like a really odd comment, and people are going to listen to this podcast and think, "What on earth are you on about?" But I think that every week. Tommy, yeah, well, I won't tell you what I think about
0: you.
1: Not, <laughs> not live on air. We'll save that.
0: We'll save that for the last one yeah. of the year.
1: Um, Tommy Bridewell uh, really is a rider that, that wears his, his heart on his sleeve, you know, and he tries so hard that he almost makes himself, he rides into problems mm. because of it. Now, what what he's done by having that crash, in my opinion, is just made things so clear. Mm. Like nothing other than wins means anything, you know. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a rider that can sit and figure things out, you know, if he hadn't have had the crash at Assam, for instance, it might have been that he could afford to take one second place to such and such, but then he'd need a first or whatever else. But Tommy probably wouldn't work that well in that way. Now he knows that only wins will, will, will make it happen for him. And I think he also knows now, after, the, after Donington Park, that um, realistically, it's over. You know, you can talk about, oh, yeah, but there's still a chance there's a mathematical point of 65 and there's 75 up for grabs. But Man. Scott Redden and Josh Brooks aren't not going to finish two races. Um, I'm sorry, Tommy, but that, that's how it is. You've done the best job you've ever done you know you're going to have a, a great championship if danny Bucken doesn't have the the strongest of rounds you're going to finish third in the championship mm. you know top three for tommy briwell on a privateer bike in the bsb championship i think is a
0: fantastic outcome and hats off to him for achieving it yeah we should talk about danny buchan of course on the fs3 kawasaki 13th on the grid didn't get into q3 it was quite some way down as well in race one when he's tenth, and then they said, didn't they, on the Eurosport program today, that they made some dramatic changes, and it seemed to work, whatever they changed, because he was fourth in race two. So I guess he's another guy who just wants to go to Brands and end the season on the high with a win, perhaps, and some podiums there.
1: Yeah, and another guy that, that, is, that it's possible for, you know, yeah. um, Tommy Bridwell could go to Brands and win. Uh, i'm not trying to say that tommy brightwell can't win a PSP race because yeah. he did
0: it he did it all to part exactly um, but he needs other things to happen if he's going to win yeah. i mean he, he to, knows that doesn't yeah. he
1: to win the championship he needs he needs almost a, almost a miracle but yeah. to win a race yeah that's more than possible and he is for danny bucken too possibly for christian idon and possibly for bradley ray too you know those guys all run really well there i mean the two races in 17 for instance, that. That I won, um, Christian didn't follow me all the way home. Um, yeah. He could well do that there. It's uh, it's all to play for still. Danny could go there, like you say, and, and have a win. Um, a lot of positivity coming for the FS3 Kawasaki team. Obviously, they're stepping up to become the official factory-backed Kawasaki team next year. Going to be a two-rider team and we still haven't heard too much about who the second rider is going to be. Plenty of rumours and gossip and intrigue flying around. I mean, you're the motorcycle news reporter. Obviously, you're going to let everyone in on, on everything you
0: know in a minute. Well, right, my <laughs> <laughs> I am actually, because I think by the time this goes out, I reckon we might know officially. And I've already said before, I think Lee Jackson is very likely to get that ride alongside Danny Buchan for 2020. He's their stock rider, isn't he? So I reckon by the time this goes out, we'll probably know. What do you reckon?
1: Well, I think it'd be a good move. I think that Lee's had a, a shot in, in BSB before. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and if Nigel's chosen, you know, to you know to give him another another platform another springboard back up into uh into bsb i think that would be quite admirable to be honest because you know let's face it they took danny into uh into bsb as a you know a super stock champion that, that hadn't quite made it in bsb and uh, sort yeah. of worked with him and turned him into a race winner exactly. yeah. Um so trying to do the same thing with leebob jackson would make a lot of sense but at the same time if they're going to be the official kawasaki you know works, you know, factory team, if you like, you know, you'd think they might be able to court the likes of, um, you know, somebody much more experienced, somebody that could probably push Danny and, and ultimately have two guys that could fight for a championship. But, you know, Nigel, um, Darren Fry and the guys in that team, you know, Dave Parks, they're, they're a great bunch of guys and uh, they'll want to do what's right. And, you know, they won't want to, they won't want to sort of all of a sudden get this status and then sort of disappear up their own backsides and have a yeah. load of problems. Yeah. So, they'll be thinking about it very methodically I would think and uh, yeah Matt Llewellyn in there as well working with Danny, they're, they're just a, a real good bunch, it's they, actually, they actually have my my old tyre guy um, Jack oh, Metcalf, okay. he started yeah. working there this weekend and it's really nice to see Jack because I've not seen him since I finished racing obviously but I saw him this weekend to speak to and uh, I think he's really happy in the in the environment yeah. that they're providing him with so yeah, good little team
0: Did they not have your old bike as well until this year? Did they not have your ex-PBM 2015 bike I think it was until the end of last year. Yeah, but I bought it back off them. Uh, oh you at, got it back again. Yeah, I've actually
1: got it at home. Yeah. Um, you know, it was something that we <laughs> spoke about at the beginning of last season. Uh Nigel said to me, I, you know, still got still got your old girl in bits, and we yeah. used it as our reference. And you know, obviously they had all my data from uh from 2015 when they started in 2016. and um, they said we're gonna build it back up at some point. And I said, Well, if it's ever for sale, let me know. And uh, Nigel and I ended up coming to a little agreement, and yeah, I bought it back. I've got it. I had it all painted, actually. Bike paints to people who um, who paint the bikes for the PBM team. They redid all the stickers, repainted it all, so it's all back exactly as I had it. So uh, that's sat in my garage as a little memento to uh, to two BSP tiles.
0: Because obviously a lot of people back home probably don't realise, and I remember talking to people about this in the past, the riders, it sounds silly probably to say this here with you, but the riders don't own the bikes, do they? Unless it's a privately run effort in a smaller class. It's not like the rider, even if you win the championship, by default just gets to take the bike home. It doesn't work like that, does it? No, definitely not. I mean, I've been asked a million
1: times, oh, do you keep your bikes at home? Can I come around and have a look at them? (laughs) I'm like... Do you know what my 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 team have a purpose built workshop and purpose built race trucks? I'm sure they think you just chuck them in the back of a transit van or something Mm. and just rock up here and yeah, away you go and and you go and race them. But um, no, it's very rare for you know certainly nowadays for riders to um, you know to be given a bike um, at the end of a season or whatever. Yes, you could have it written into your contract, but um, even then, it'd be it'd be really difficult to uh, you know to to make happen. You know, you have got to bear in mind that. They're talking about a cost of those V4Rs, for instance, you know, if Scott Redding wanted to have his bike at the end of this year, if he becomes champion, They're talking about a buying cost of something like 130,000 euros for those things. Yeah, that's, a, that's a lot of money, you know, you think, Scott's probably I don't know what his championship bonus might be maybe he's got a 20 grand championship bonus maybe he's got a 40 grand one I don't know but it certainly won't be a 130 or whatever cost of one of those bikes is and you know the last thing you're going to want to do as a rider when you've just won a championship on something is pay a load of money to to have that bike to to keep you
0: know so funny one but um, I bought my old ZX10 back anyway. God, no wonder we've heard so many stories in the past then about bikes being stolen and things being stolen from circuits and trucks being stolen with bikes in them. I mean, wasn't there an incident, quite an amusing incident when you were back at Crescent, the Croft incident?
1: Yeah, well, that, then bikes got held to ransom. I mean, to be honest with me, they could have kept the thing for all I can. I hated the bike that year <laughs> and uh, didn't enjoy the year at all. Um, but yeah, no, riders, uh, I think the thing with the, with the bikes getting taken, you know, it's it's fairly... I don't know if I should even say this, but it's fairly common knowledge that um, you know quite a few teams aren't aren't quite, you know what what they'll say they'll pay and and what you actually end up getting is, is quite a, a different um, a different a different thing. You know, I've been relatively lucky throughout my career. Um, you know, certainly certainly in the PBM days, anyway. Of you know eventually getting everything you've been owed. But um, you know, certainly with some of the teams that I've ridden for in, in World Championships before, there's a there's a little bit of money outstanding. So you have to sometimes take matters into your own hands and um, you know, bikes have to be be taken as like a guarantee and, and you know, it's not uh this is not a new thing and it won't be uh it won't mm-hmm. be an old thing either. I wouldn't have thought, you know, there'll be there'll be plenty of people up and down pit lane wanting to uh have some
0: gentlemen turn up and and make sure they've got a bit of a guarantee that they get their money. (laughs) Let's talk about some title (coughs) wins here, shaky, over this weekend. Jack Kennedy, it was never really in doubt, was it, this year, that he was going to cement a second super sport title in a row, apart from early on in the season, but certainly since about halfway through, it wasn't even questionable, was it?
1: Jack Kennedy, to put it into context, has had 18 wins this year. That is just... Utter domination. I mean, I I like Jack. Um, Jack and I get on really well. And, you know, it might be a bit biased of me to sit here and say what a great job he's done. But honestly, you you can't get your head around the, the level of dominance that guy's had. Now, people say that winning a championship is difficult. And it is, you know, no, no British championship comes on the back of a cornflakes pack. You know, you don't just cut the little uh, yeah. serrations out and all of a sudden become a British champion. You know, you have to earn a British championship. But... um You know, Jack not only earned that British Championship, but he defended it as well, and he defended it even more convincingly than he won it. And you know, I always say that winning a championship is difficult, but defending it is even harder. And uh, he's made both look an absolute piece of cake. And his reply to me actually on Twitter was that you know I love a bit of cake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that um, you know it's it's uh, it's been an amazing job and. You know, the rumour is that he's going to step up to, to Superbike with Yamaha. Um, and I really hope that happens. And I really hope that they put, you know, a proper effort behind him because he tried the Superbike class back in 16, was it? It was 17, maybe. And, and it didn't pan out for one reason or another. So let's hope this
0: time when he steps up, he can show just just how good a rider he really is. Great title win for the 31-year-old Josh Day as well in the Ducati Tri Options Cup. He's from Swindon, so well done. It could have been a very different story, but he came through today and won that one. Rob Guyver, I've just got to have a quick shout out for Rob Guyver because he was the champion last year, Shane. 18 years of racing and he's decided to hang up the helmet and the leathers now. I think he'll be going home a very proud man, but he'll must be feeling a bit weird now because that's sort of an era of Rob's life that gets put to one side now. What do you do now when you go about, I wonder, having made that decision to retire? How do you you know, keep the brain active and keep yourself motivated with this part of your life gone, really? I really
1: don't know. And it's hopefully one that I'm not going to have mm. to, to go through just yet. Um, yeah. yeah, Rob has been the reference, I think it's fair to say, in the Ducati Cup for a while. But before we go into a different championship... I think one person that deserves a, a pretty special mention from this weekend, that stood out to me a lot today, was um, Rory Skinner.
0: Yes. You know yes.
1: British Talent Cup winner last year got absolutely nothing for it, which is just ridiculous. I mean, what's the point in MSV and Dawn putting together these uh, these kind of championships and then leaving the poor kids to start a GoFundMe play, uh, page to you know to even be able to? I think it was Chris Walker that actually gave him a bike and, and yeah. got him back on the you know back into racing or whatever, but. You know, the Rory Skinner that we've seen today um, to beat James Westmoreland um, to the podium to take that third place, that was a a pretty special ride. So Mm
0: -hmm. hats off, Rory, well done. Hopefully that alone will lead to, to something a lot better for him for next season. Well, that led to a chat actually in the press room again this afternoon. It rekindled a conversation that's been going on for a while. This is in stock 600, by the way, Rory Skinner taking his first podium. Who will the next British, new British world champion be? Whether it's World Superbikes, or certainly MotoGP, because at the moment, there's a bit of a lack of guys up and coming, aren't there? I mean, young, really talented kids coming through. I mean, he could be one of them, I guess. But once Cal Crutchlow's retired and Jonathan Ray and Chas Davis and the rest of them, who's it going to be? It's a good question. Um, and it's not something that um, that
1: we can answer in the short term. Because, mm. you know, if a kid can go out and spend the season winning you know, pretty convincingly in the British Talent Cup... You'd think he'd be doing that to to get promoted into some sort of Moto Free Championship or you know whatever championship that the the thing was meant to have done, um, but it didn't happen. And I think that's partial sure. You know, you've paid a lot of money to go mm-hmm. and enter a race series to you know seemingly um, get the support of the you know of the, the two organisers, and then mm-hmm. basically get told, "Great job, well done." There's a crappy little trophy you're a British talent cup champion now do whatever you want to do that was that was bad that was badly handled the Spanish and the Italians have a special way of, of getting their riders through a way that the UK will never understand and I think that you know, there's a there's a big part of uh, of the UK that actually just wants to keep our riders in the UK. You know, we want our own little riders that are, are great in our championship and whatever else. But you know, any young rider that starts on this journey not aspiring to be a world champion shouldn't even bother starting, in my opinion. You know, if you don't desire to be a world champion, then yeah, yeah what's the of what going racing yeah. I still want to be a world champion now and I'm sat here talking to you doing a podcast because I'm not working for Eurosport but it doesn't stop me wanting to be a world champion yeah. so yeah I don't know I don't know what we've got to do to be honest um, and I don't know that it's something that's of particular importance to the people who could actually make it happen for our young riders but um,
0: anyhow what will be will be yeah who knows maybe it's going to take one of the Brits to go out and live in Spain and come up through the CV or go through pre-moto 3 in Italy or whatever but why but why
1: well, exactly. Why
0: should they have to do that? Yeah.
1: yeah, and that's the thing that's that's difficult to get your head around for for me as somebody who's you know kind of coming towards the end of my career. You know, where is that next kid going to come from? You know, when when the Spanish kids finish school and they go literally at sort of three thirty after they finish school to like the local kart track and just yeah. have guys coaching and coaching yeah. and coaching and media training. The whole system's just absolutely perfect. But then. You know, motorbike racing and, and motorsport in general in Europe is far bigger than it is in. Uh, you know, if you want to be a footballer, then then everybody will get behind mm-hmm. you in the UK, and and rightly so. You know, we we created the game, if you like, and and you know, we are the we are the reference. Um, you know, the Premiership is is absolutely fantastic. That money that's involved in it is like off the scale. It was funny actually um, in the show today. Matt Roberts was promoting one of the the English Open snooker, and the winner of that uh, particular match or something, there was a million pound prize fund. And He's just, think, you know, how how a million pound a million fund. pound. Yeah, listen, I'm taking nothing away from from snooker players mm-hmm. because, you know, I can't play snooker to to save my life, and um, I enjoy a game of pool. Um, and i love to have a go at snooker, but it's so hard to do. So the likes of Ronnie O'Sullivan and all the superstars that we have that play snooker, you know, if you're at the top of your game, you deserve some money. But i tell you something. We joked about it actually earlier in, the, in one of the other podcasts. When they put that £75,000 Integro Insurance um, prize mm, fund up yeah. for, for six wins in this championship. <laughs> I can't think of no more than four riders that even earn 75
0: grand. We, uh, <laughs> perhaps we're in the wrong sport. <laughs> I was just thinking actually about our showpiece event in motorcycle racing is the British Grand Prix at Silverstone for MotoGP, Formula One, British Grand Prix at Silverstone. They're one of very few Grand Prix for MotoGP or F1 in the whole calendar that are not government funded. You know, they're privately funded by the BRDC essentially. Is it not a cultural thing maybe as well? You know, these other countries... Their governments are getting behind them, you know. Their presidents are often there at the races or prime ministers or whoever. There's no government funding going into our Grand Prix. Well, I did actually ask
1: um, Keelan Sofowoglu if he'd have a work with Boris Johnson for us because um, (laughs) (laughs) we spoke with him and obviously Keelan uh, after, you know, his his, uh, prime minister or whatever actually Mm -hmm. told him he had to to stop racing because he kept hurting himself and uh, the president they're good friends the yeah. president yeah. yeah and he made him um a, a parliamentary member <laughs> and you know it's keen as job and he's like i can't get out of it you know i have no choice I, I have to do as i'm told and i said to him well listen you know if you're if you're sitting in par- parliament in turkey and if you look at you know, top rank, resgate Leopoldo's bike. Um, the whole thing's just got Turkey or Turkish yeah. right
0: up the side yeah. of it because the Turkish government fund the team. Yeah. Um, and that sponsorship's going to Yamaha next year when he goes there as well. So they're taking it with him. Well, exactly. And and you know, I, I joked with him on
1: screen. I said, any chance you can have a word with Boris and see if we can't get some, <laughs> see if we can't get some funding for some young British riders to you know to, to make it through to you know either World Superbike or <laughs> or Moto
0: Three. And he laughed and uh, yeah, I, I think he declined politely. <laughs> Yeah, they've got to get Brexit sorted out first, haven't they? There's something. To, imagine that being discussed there—motorcycle racing in the House of Commons. It'd be I good, might, wouldn't it? I might. Do you know what? I might actually make a bit of a run for Prime Minister. What <laughs> do you reckon? But <laughs> well, there you go. Send your treats in, everyone. <laughs> Another alternative career there. Uh, final thought, Shane. Before we go, it's actually got dark, hasn't it? Since we've been sat here, we were chatting with Fred Clark, the legendary. BSB circuit commentator who can also be heard honest? on BSB radio how long has he been commentating he celebrated a massive anniversary last year didn't he Was it, isn't no, it, is no, it this no, year no. Uh,
1: 52 it? years yeah. of commentating Amazing. Um, but you know what the, 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 I actually asked him didn't I I said oh do you want to sit in on this uh, on this podcast with us but uh, obviously he's been up here Fred's 73 is he or 74 years old something like that he is the voice of of you know certainly of superbikes and Grand prix and whatever else and you know, the the stories that guy can tell and, the, you know, the vividness with which he tells them, you could listen to him all day long. Yeah. I could sit and listen to that guy's stories of Barry Sheen, of Kenny Roberts, of Mick Doohan, of Wayne Gardner, of, you know, he, there is not a story that he can't tell you. And you know yeah. that he's not lying. He is yeah. an absolutely amazing person. And... and What's going to happen in, in BSB, for instance, or, or, you know, in the British Grand Prix when, when Fred actually decides to uh, switch his microphone off? I have absolutely no idea. You know, you talk about young British talent. You could be the next Fred
0: Clark. You know, you are. You are <laughs> Captain Stat. <laughs> I know, but you're right, though. I mean, these guys are so interesting to talk to. Nick Harris, who I used to work with at Dorna the MotoGP, Fred here, Jack Burnicle, Barry Nutley, the guys who've been doing it for longer than any of the rest of us. The stories they've got, the anecdotes they come out with mm-hmm. and the passion, that's what's fueled these careers to make them as successful as they are, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. yeah, all of those guys you've
1: mentioned, I've got the utmost respect yeah, for. Um, you know, love talking to them and, you know, they've seen and they've forgotten more than you and I have probably ever learned Um and, you know, that's not me blowing smoke up the backside of somebody just for the sake of it. You know, Fred Clark, I have nothing but utter respect for that man. Um, as straight and Lloyd commentated on my first ever race. Um, you know, hopefully he hasn't commentated on my last
0: one, but, um, yeah, what an absolute legend. And, of course, the great Murray Walker himself, who, by the way, this Thursday, the 10th of October, is celebrating his 96th birthday, Shane. Of course, he's not commentating anymore, but happy birthday, Murray. But he's still involved in doing features on the TV and, and you know radio what? interviews.
1: He still, if he came to France for BSB, mm. he would still come to you with the same uh, enthusiasm, you know, the same, like, admiration of you, you know, the same, just just Murray, yeah. you know, just my like, hero. I have yeah,
0: to say. What an absolute legend. Yeah, just passion. And people don't realise, obviously, Murray's remembered for all of his mistakes wrongly, really, because, yes, he made mistakes. But in the latter years, people are intentionally waiting for them. <laughs> he should have seen my take on that track piece I did the other day. You would to talk about mistakes? It's, it's true, is it? though? Like, you know, obviously, you'll get used to it as well, though, with the TV stuff and how many times it takes to do it and the work that you have to do to prepare. And people remember the times you get it wrong, but they don't remember the number of times you got it right. And Murray very often got it right. Well,
1: that's uh, that's that's one of the things of racing and life in general, isn't yeah, it? You know, you true. can go out and you can win a million races. It's just when you finish second, you yeah, become, all all, yeah. you become the, the the biggest, you know, has been or whatever in your life. I mean, I actually, uh, my book's out next year and I, and I actually joke about the fact that, um, you know, you can do whatever you can do. And, you know, when you're winning, you're the greatest person and it doesn't matter that you were 40-whatever years old, it doesn't Mm. matter that you've been around for a while, you know, you're the class act, you're the polished, you're the refined guy, you're the one who's done it week in, week out, nobody can do it like you. And then all of a sudden something can happen and you'll have a fourth. And all of those comments turn into, Yeah, but he's you know, he's forty odd years old now. Yeah. What does he need to prove now? He's done it all, yeah, you know, he's gonna start going off the boil, you can't <laughs> have this and you just think, are you flipping, pulling. Yeah, well, I don't even want to say what I want to say. But, Well-selected uh, words, though. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's funny. Um, but, yeah, you, you quite often get remembered for the things you didn't do rather than the things you did. And uh, as you say, Murray, you know, made a, made a load of mistakes and, and he was famous for it, but everybody loves him for it. Yeah,
0: absolutely, but so often got it right as well. It's Argentina World Superbikes coming up this weekend. I believe you're going to be on hand in the new Eurosport Studio because the Feltham era has ended. We've been based in Feltham, just outside Heathrow, for many a year. That's all changed now. New Chiswick base, so uh, new studio, new look. Looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I actually went down to um,
1: to Chiswick on Tuesday this week um, to to meet the you know the the boss. Um, to have a little chat which was really good Um, you know the new facility looks great yeah I'm looking forward to that actually we're going to get there and do Argentina and then we obviously go to Brands the weekend after and then Qatar finishes off the six week run that we've been on um, and then that's those two championships done for the year so Really looking forward to Brands Hatch finding out who becomes BSB champion obviously we already know who's world wide champion and what and talking about utter domination you know what an amazing job he's done in the mm. second half of the season mm. we'll see what Argentina brings and sign the year off in,
0: in Qatar Shaky thanks very much I will speak to you over the air hours, I guess on the Argentina weekend are you going out there Do you, you're, you're going to be like fully first class
1: business class up living the dream <laughs> absolutely yeah first class as always so i need to i need to up my game don't i I need some of that media training and, and get me on those
0: flies <laughs> but no, i'm looking forward to it. it's going to be good isn't it
1: yeah that should be great um yeah super exciting a new track for alvaro yes, baltista true. actually true. um which will be which will be good for him and also yeah. a new track for leon haslam um, yes. he's never been yeah. there before either so uh you know be interesting to uh to compare those two to see who's done the best job over the course of the weekend um, top rack was good
0: there last year as well he got a podium
1: yeah top rack's super strong at the moment and riding really well um, he must be uh must be wondering what the future holds for him when he uh, when he changes manufacturer but uh a rough diamond i think is uh, is a great description of him and you know immensely talented kid that uh is really fast and i think that um you know he's not like one of these guys that's been stuck in a class so long that he couldn't possibly adapt to a different type of bike or another manufacturer and yeah, I'm sure we're going to see him go on to do great things and give uh, his teammate uh, a good run for his money.
0: Shane, thanks a lot for that. Penultimate shaky show of the season. Of course, we've got one more after Brands Hatch, but uh, James Whittem and I will be back with a full throttle podcast from the Argentina commentary box next week. And Shaky, I'll speak to you when we're talking about a new BSB champion at Brands Hatch.
1: You certainly will, Greg. Thank you very much. See you there.